Hello there, and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And today we're continuing our podcast series on apologetics, and today we're going to look at um, the dangers of apologetics. I had looked at this uh, briefly in a few other podcasts earlier. Uh, apologetics and Attitude is one, um, and there might be a few others, but I don't have my series right in front of me here. Uh, certainly a, po- a subject I've thought a lot about, um, and we're going to go through a few of the main objections to apologetics. And as we're going to see, um, well, one apologist said that apologetics is kind of the the red, the red-haired, freckled-faced kind of um, run to the family when it comes to theology. Uh, the theology prof, the systematic theology guy, is often the dean of the of the seminary, and the apologetics guy is kind of the youth pastor, kind of the. Uh, often it's less respected as a discipline and often even people are like we don't really need apologetics in fact apologetics is wrong we shouldn't do apologetics Uh, the seminary that I went to they literally um, were convinced that apologetics was wrong um, for a whole variety of reasons not all of which I'll touch on here today uh, but due to an influence by Karl Barth which is a whole other big issue Um, but as we're going to see uh, I've got four reasons here why apologetics, um, that people oppose apologetics. And as we're going to see, these are all very valid and very real dangers and pitfalls of apologetics. Um, But the fact that we can point out problems or dangers in this discipline, in this field, does not mean that we need to throw out the whole discipline. It means that we need to, we know where the brake pedal is, so now we can with more confidence on the gas pedal. We know where the border fences are so we can more confidently walk out in the field knowing to stay away from the, the, the fences or, or maybe the, the cliff at the edge of the, of the pasture. Um, I'm sitting here behind uh, my mechanic and he's fixing my car and I'm looking over his field with his cows and sheep around which is why you hear that in the background and why I just thought of the analogy of the pasture. Um, so I'm briefly going to mention these four points. Attitude, and I already have a podcast on this, but you know, apologists sometimes are grumpy know-it-alls, um, especially in internet uh, chat rooms. Um, approach sometimes it leads to over-intellectual kind of egghead um, sort of approaches, um, out of touch apparently with uh, spiritual with the risen Christ, with the Holy Spirit, with the relationship with Him, it can just become an entirely intellectual pursuit. Um, Then a very biblical uh, objection is that we should preach Christ and not philosophy, and that philosophy is dangerous. So we'll look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians and in Colossians about that. And finally, just from experience, that apologetics is and can be very dangerous. In fact, it has led to the destruction of people's faith at times. So, one by one, let's have a look. Attitude. So, I do have a whole podcast on this. I won't recover that ground. You can look at apologetics and attitude. Um, But I do want to point out that in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, um, there's kind of three parts to that passage. It starts off, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And uh, it's so important to make sure Christ is the center, is the Lord of our apologetics before we move forward, is the the Lord of our minds, of our, our whole system, our worldview. Um, and then we are ready with an answer 
to anyone that ha asks us. We're ready with an apologetic, with a defense, with a reasoned explanation. And then, how does the passage conclude? How does the, the verse conclude? Yet with gentleness and respect. Um, we need to be gentle. And that doesn't always mean... Um, that doesn't always mean being soft about how we pres how we logic should be straightforward and clear, and so sometimes somebody offers you uh, an objection, and your answer is point one, point two, point three. This is an, an invalid objection, and you can be very clear and sometimes even terse. Um, but we need to present that in a gentle way. We need to be clear. We need to be kind. We need to. Um, um, attack the ideas and not the person. So with gentleness, and may God give you wisdom in knowing how to be gentle in your culture, in your situation, in your context. And respect. And this is so important because Christians oftentimes, uh, we get this snobby idea that only we have the truth and only our stories count. Uh, you know, you, you read a story about a missionary that's... Um, you know, got this long journey of preparation and they agonize and they sweat and they search for God all over and finally they found him. Now that they found him, they had this long process of, of um, whatever, getting their life together and finally being out on the mission field. And on the mission field, they had all these struggles and now they're, you know, we can look at a um, biography like that and say, what an incredible person. What an incredible human being. Well, there's people that have incredible stories that aren't Christians, obviously. Uh, I mean, there's people that have dedicated their life to pursuing knowledge and seeking out truth. And yes, they're not Christians yet. Maybe they never will be Christians. But that doesn't mean they're not pouring their heart and soul into this journey. Uh, some people are on the internet just to be jerks or to, um, I don't know, to be right or to argue or to have fun. Some people really have um, are really amazing and great human beings and uh, whether they are or not or it's not for us to judge of course um, we need to respect people and our respect should come across in how we communicate I saw a great quote online one time <clears throat> in one of these Christian atheist debate forums and often underneath your name or whatever name you choose for the debate um Forum, you can choose a little tagline or a quote or something inspirational that kind of defines you. And um, often the Christians have like a Bible verse and the non-Christians have like a quote from Richard Dawkins or something. Um, and this, this one atheist had this little tagline that said, I will forget most of what you say, but I will never forget how you made me feel. I will forget most of what you say, but I will never forget how you made me feel. And that line really has stuck by me, stuck with me. And um, oftentimes, yes, the arguments are important, the debate is important, it's important to present our case, to have a rational defense for our beliefs. But um, the reason people are atheists and the reason people are Christians goes a lot deeper than, um, than the arguments, than the logic, often coming down to very emotional motivations. And when an atheist, even a very strong, ardent atheist that has all these reasons for what they believe, continually bumps into Christians that love them, that care for them, that exude respect and exude kindness, that exude a gentle and respectful spirit, I think that makes an impact on them. Even Christopher Hitchens, uh, a great atheist uh, philosopher that is now passed away, 
uh, when he was diagnosed with cancer and, um, uh, and and finally published that he was terminally ill a few, I think he died almost five years ago now, um, he mentioned at one point that he was really blown away by the level of care and support that Christians offered to him, even though he was... He wrote a book, um, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything, basically saying that Christians and other religions are, are the root of evil in the world, the reason for most of the, the, the biggest problems on the earth. And yet here were all these Christians with love and respect and kindness reaching out to him. And I think that that really, that really speaks volumes. So that's attitude. Um, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life, as it says in Proverbs 4.23. There's a lot of reasons that we can have an attitude of needing to be right, of wanting to push and push and push and push people down and stomp on them and raise our arms in victory and be like, yeah, I won that debate. Um, have have a talk with your pastor, a good Christian psychologist, if you if you look at yourself and you're like, you know, I always kind of have this need to win an argument, and if I'm not I always seek out arguments and I always try and win them. Have a care um, if that is your attitude. Uh, in First Timothy, what is it? First Timothy three three and Titus one seven talks about the um, the qualifications of an elder, and in both places it says uh, an elder ought not to be argumentative or uh, pugnacious, as my NASB says. Um, we shouldn't be sporting for a fight all the time. The fights will come, the arguments will come. Uh, we need to deal with them graciously and rigorously uh, to have good answers when people ask. But we shouldn't be walking into every room with a chip on our shoulder looking for arguments. So that's attitude. That should be fairly clear, I think. Um, second objection. Apologists are eggheads, they're over-intellectual, and they're not spiritual enough. Um, this is a valid objection, and as I was doing some research for this, listening to some online podcasts, I thought, wow, I forgot how, how overly intellectual some apologetics courses can be, and they, they really, you know, great big huge, um, words come out, uh, all about deep into psychology, or I mean uh, philosophy, and really big concepts, and all those things are important and valuable, of course, uh, especially depending on what level you're studying. If you're, you know, getting a doctorate in in apologetics, certainly you need to know those things. Um, But it can get into a little bit of an overly intellectual thing. Um, I would never criticize a discipline for being too academic, because... um, in every discipline, whether it's theology or you know a branch of theology like the study of Jesus, the study of redemption, the study of sin, all these things, we should have, you know, all the way from being able to teach it in Sunday school, we should be able to explain it. Somebody in the Christian faith should be able to explain it at a doctoral level, and it's going to look very different. It's going to be very complicated at a higher level. Um, so I don't think that this is a valid objection. It just might be that you've stumbled in on a doctorate level class or a master's level class uh, and um, there are levels that uh, depending that might be more practical depending on your application. Um, and again, this was kind of a reminder that the class that I want to teach and this podcast really serves a good purpose because um, my aim is to um, to take the really great concepts 
um, that I have learned over getting a master's and studying at a high level online and, and various places, the big concepts and bring them down to put them on the bottom shelf or the middle shelf where any Christian, no matter what your background is, whether you have time and money to go out and get a master's or not, you're going to be able to understand what I'm talking about. And I'm, I'm going to avoid using big words as much as possible. I'm going to avoid dumping big concepts on you. I'm just going to, I'm just going to um, take it down a notch. Um, as well, the associated uh, critique here that it's not spiritual enough, that it's simply intellectual. We did some training with Caring for the Heart, uh, as well as got some counseling with them. That's a counseling institution that uh, is is very good, um, and that's kind of a, a recent and um, recent movement, and it's kind of exploding across North America right now. Uh, and they talk about an intellectually locked heart, and if you have certain traumas in your past, it can feel like a really safe place to just lock up your heart, not feel. And just think, and especially for guys, I'm sorry to gender stereotype, it can happen with girls too, but it's a real temptation for guys to just be like Spock in uh, the old Star Trek series and just say, that's not logical, that's not logical. Um, and only dwell in our heads and be completely disconnected from what's going on in our hearts. And disciplines like systematic theology system uh, disciplines like apologetics can be our excuse to spend our entire lives our entire ministries up in our heads and never engage with our hearts and um, I just want to identify that that's an issue that can happen I know at times I've struggled with that and I've been trying to reconnect the two and I'm going to try in this class to make sure there is a connection between the two that every time we explain a new concept that right away there's the application and there's the emotional and, and the real life um, implications of that concept uh, when it's appropriate and valid. And so I'm hoping that this class will be intensely practical, down to earth and applicable. But um, let's not make a false dichotomy between head and heart. Let's not say um, apologetics is wrong because it's up in the head and we only want to be in the heart. Let's not say apologetics is wrong because it's all academic and we want to be spiritual. We can be, we can be intellectually engaged and also heart engaged. We can be academically astute and also be spiritually on fire and active for the Lord. Um, what, an author that I'm going to find when I actually teach this class, his name... <laughs> Um, one of the guys at Westminster Seminary, no, at Princeton before there was the split. B.B. Uh, Warfield, I believe, dealt with this objection because the students were saying, why would I spend three hours in study of theology when I could spend three hours in prayer on my knees? And his answer was to say, why don't you spend three hours in prayer on your knees doing the study of theology? Why does it have to be either or? Why is it that we stop praying, that we disengage our spirit from the equation when we start doing theology? That points to a real problem in the system when um, it's an either or. We should have our mind engaged and our heart engaged. As Paul said in his discussion of uh, spiritual gifts and the gift of prophecy, of uh, speaking in tongues, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in the church than a thousand words in a tongue uh, where my mind is not engaged. We need to be speaking with our mind when we're in the church uh, and in 
in these contexts, not just speaking spiritual realities, um, not just talking about how God makes us feel, but what we think about God and working, um, we need to do the hard work of thinking good thoughts about God. Okay, so a more meaty objection is that um, we should preach Christ and not philosophy. And here we, I have uh, three objections back to back here uh, that, that's kind of going to create a fairly substantive uh, critique against apologetics. And uh, if if you spend any time in apologetics or if you try to, um, to share apologetics with your church, you're likely going to bump into somebody... Oh, shoot, I brought my French Bible, not my English. Um, that will... Um, will bring up some objections like this. So 1 Corinthians 1.18. This is going to be interesting. I brought my French Bible, not my English Bible. So um, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says something like, um, because the word of God is foolishness for those who are perishing, but for those who are saved, it's the power of God. For it is written... I destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I destroy the intelligence of the intelligent. Um, where is the sage? Where is the scribe? Where is the uh, debater of this world? Hasn't God uh, destroyed the wisdom of this world? Because um, the world of it, with its wisdom uh, did not understand... Uh, the wisdom of God. Uh, God was pleased to destroy the wisdom of the world with the folly of preaching. All right, that's about all I'm going to do. This is really painful to read in, in French and translate it to English. Um, no, I'm going to keep going because this is the important part. Uh, the Jews demand miracles and the Greeks look for signs. But we preach Christ crucified which is a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness for uh, the Greeks. But for those who are being saved, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. All right. Wow, my brain hurts. It's actually kind of surprising I was able to do that. Um, so the gospel is foolishness. Uh, and so therefore, apologetics is impossible because the whole point of apologetics is trying to try and make the gospel make sense to the Greeks. Um, and uh, there's this division between the, the Jews and the Greeks uh, that often comes up in Paul, especially in 1 Corinthians. Um, and today we could kind of bring that into our context to say that the Jews might be literally Jews or Christians or perhaps Jehovah's Witnesses, perhaps Mormons, people that accept part or all of the Bible as an authority. We can have debates with them about who Jesus is based on the Bible as an authority. And then there's Greeks, meaning secular people or people that don't accept the Bible as an authority. We can have debates and, and discussions with them about the authority of, of, about trying to make a bridge from where they are over to we, where we are, and that's more apologetics. Um, Apologetics, based on this passage, seems to be impossible. Rather, Paul is just saying, it's foolishness, but we preach it, and if God calls people, then they come. And this might tie into, um, this might make a lot of sense if you're a Calvinist. You just say, well, people that are elect will, will hear the gospel, will receive it, will, will come over, even though it's foolishness to them. 
So the second objection in 1 Corinthians 2, 2 says, um, For I did not, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. So Paul only preached Christ and only focused on the cross when he was with the Corinthians. Uh, therefore, apologetics is a dangerous distraction. We shouldn't try and do apologetics. That's distracting from the main issue, which is just preach the gospel. Preach that Jesus died for your sins. Preach that uh, Jesus wants to save you from your sins, as Paul did. Thirdly, in Colossians 2.8, Colossians 2.8 says, Watch that no one takes you captive by uh, philosophy and by um, um, the vain, uh, by deception of men and, and elementary principles of the world. Uh, which are not according to Christ. So be careful that nobody catches you uh, by philosophy. And this is where some people would take the phrase from, from the Bible. I believe it's from the King James. I'm not sure. I've seen it around, although it doesn't. the phrase doesn't exist in my version, which is beware of philosophy. Um, so this is where you could have a three-part um, objection against apologetics. Philosophy is dangerous, based on Colossians 2.8. Philosophy is dangerous. Apologetics includes philosophy, therefore apologetics is dangerous. Philosophy is dangerous, apologetics includes philosophy, therefore apologetics is dangerous. So we have here three objections to apologetics. So let's have a look at them one by one and try and answer them. First of all, it is quite true that apologetics can be a sellout. That apologetics can be um, turning turning over and, and ceding the religion of Christianity over to uh, pagan principles and pagan ideas and religion. I have a blog post on my blog called Apologetics, the Traitor's Art, um, where I, I chronicle um, some of the major heresies in the Christian church, Arianism, and then I think I looked at Thomas Aquinas, I'm not sure, uh, but then I looked at modern liberalism as three big examples of how people tried to um, make Christianity make sense to their culture, and they did too good of a job. Um, they didn't hold fast enough to... They, they compromised some of the central tenets of Christianity, and in so doing, they created a new religion, which was basically a heresy, um, which was a heresy. And in so doing, they compromised. They were like traitors. They, they uh, destroyed their own religion in trying to win people to it. Um, and this is why I talk often about the analogy of a bridge. We need to keep the same cornerstone. There is only one cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. We cannot lay a new cornerstone, as Paul says. But when people are far away, we need to sometimes build a bridge over to them. That, and the bridge starts on their side, and we need to bring them over to us so that they can hear the gospel, so that we can preach Christ and Him crucified. Because preaching Christ and Him crucified to somebody that has no context makes no sense. Uh, sometimes we need to build that bridge. But in building that bridge, we need to be so careful not to um, just take up residence over on their side and build a new religion on the foundation of their thinking. 
Um, we saw this uh, even in the emergent movement that I was a part of back in 2008, 2007-2008. Um, some people, you know, we were very focused when we were, my generation was in our 20s, very focused on trying to be relevant. And there's a, a magazine, a podcast out there called The Relevant Podcast, The Relevant Magazine. Um, kind of a, a guide word for for that generation and for that age group. Uh, which is now being taken up by the millennials. We want to be relevant. We don't just want to be speaking over in a corner in a language that nobody understands. We want to be relevant to our culture. Um, but at the same time, we can't compromise uh, the essentials of the gospel. And um, I think that you'll know whether you're compromising. The test of whether you're compromising or not comes down to, um, are you ready to pay the price? There will always be a price to pay. And that price comes down to there will be a, a point of foolishness. And at the end of Paul's Mars Hill address, he mentioned the resurrection from the dead and said, Jesus Christ is risen for us. And most of the people listening to him just scoffed and said, that's, that's, that's foolishness, that's silly. And he knew they would because Paul was trained in, um, uh, where was he trained? I forget now. I want to say it's Tarsus, but I'm not sure. Anyways, he, he was, um, I'll look that up for my class probably, but uh, he, w- he, he was well-versed in Greek thought. And he knew they would laugh at that point, but he still bit the bullet and said, Jesus is raised from the dead. He wouldn't compromise on that point. If he had a compromise on that point to try and win more Greeks, he would have created a new religion for them because Christ in the Christian religion is raised from the dead. Um, you need to be ready to pay the price to, you know, yes, you build the bridge, but that final step over to our side will always create, will always be a point of, yes, but you need to say no to something in your culture. And I think in our culture, it comes down, we don't care so much whether Jesus was fully God. We don't care so much whether he was raised from the dead, born of a virgin, worked miracles. Some people do. Um, some For some people, those are the, the issues and the stumbling block and, and the final step. Um, but for us, I think a lot of it comes down to sexual ethics. Uh, what does Jesus say about fornication, sex before marriage? What does Jesus say about homosexuality? Uh, and I think these are kind of the, the issues where people are like, I'll go with you so far, but when it gets to this issue, I would really appreciate if you'd come and meet me halfway, that you you change the Bible to fit what I believe is correct. Um, we need to be willing to pay the price and to be looked at and called fools or worse, um, racists or homophobes or whatever it is. Um, otherwise, we are traitors to our Lord uh, and we prioritize. Um, again, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Who is Lord in your heart? Um, back in my emergent days, it wasn't always clear whether Christ was Lord or whether culture was Lord. What does it mean to be relevant? Relevant to who? What This concept of relevant relevant to the eternal unchanging God or relevant to the changing but very urgent feeling culture. So sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts or else apologetics becomes a sellout. Um, My second answer to these three objections is that right thinking is not incompatible with Christ nor is it the sole propriety of the unbelievers. So there's this this good song by um, oh what's his name? The song is, Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? And uh, Larry Norman. 
this came out of the 50s and 60s when um, you know the hip movement happened, rock and roll happened, and the non-Christians were singing rock and roll, and the Christians were still in the church singing hymns. And Larry Norman says, "Hey, why should the Christian? Why should the devil have all the good music? Um, we should have good music too." And eventually, that his dream became reality as as more and more um, Christians have learned to to play good music like non-Christians, although we still lag behind in some ways. Um, but right thinking and good logic shouldn't only belong to the devil. Uh, Christians should have good thinking too. And when we're just simply talking about what is apologetics, good, rational defense of our faith, just laying things out point by point, answering people's questions, answering people's objections, um, being rational and systematic about it, I don't see how anybody can really object to that, uh, honestly. I think that that's something that every Christian should strive towards. Indeed, Ephesians 4.14, which is the theme verse for uh, my blog and podcast, says, um, well, 13 talks about growing up in all ways into Christ who is our head. Uh, and then 14 says, therefore we should no longer be like children, tossed and blown about by every wind and wave of, doc- of doctrine. Um, by, by the games of, of men and their, um, and their sedu- seductive trickery. This is my translation out of the French. Um, but in speaking the truth in love, we will grow up in all ways into Christ who is our head. So we shouldn't be like children. And honestly, people that object and oppose apologetics, sometimes just saying, all I need is the Bible, all I need is the Holy Spirit in the Bible to speak the truth to me. Sometimes that can stilt people, that can stunt their growth um, to being somewhat childlike and when, um, in a negative way, when a new philosophy comes along because they haven't studied what other good Bible teachers, what other good philosophers, Christian philosophers, what other good theologians and, and apologists have come up with, they're caught flat-footed. They don't know what to answer. They don't know what to say. Um, but we should not be like children. We should have good answers. We should grow up in all ways uh, into Christ who is our head by speaking the truth in love. Finally, um, yeah, and this is again a false dichotomy. It's not either the Bible or good thinking. It's both. We need the Bible and we need good thinking. We need the Bible and we need to be able to provide good defenses uh, for our faith. And thirdly, the cross versus right thinking is another false dichotomy. There's a lot of false dichotomies in my objections here. Um, Okay, I already covered this in in earlier things that I said. So, um, let's move on to the fourth objection, which is that apologetics is dangerous. And by experience, I have found that apologetics is dangerous. In fact, um, my quest which is now spanning about 15 years, to uh, explain Christianity in a way that makes sense to my culture, uh, that would have made sense to my high school classmates, um, has been the most spiritual, de- spiritually dangerous quest that I've been on. I've come closer to losing my faith in that than I have in any other way. Um, more than, I don't know, the temptations of... of of the world more than um, 
the, the busyness of life more than anything because in apologetics you you let people ask you the questions you you open yourself up to being like well what are people saying out there and uh, you can you can just take on too many questions at the same time and it just kind of can kind of feel like wow there's so many objections to Christianity how can it actually be true or you can literally get a question that is seems like a really important question that hits right at the center of the Christian faith and you might not find an answer to that question for a long time or ever uh, and this can be really really destabilizing to you and I've had both of those happen to me and I'm sure people have lost their faith in trying to develop their apologetic system so it is dangerous um, the next podcast is going to be on the necessity of apologetics. And basically my main response to this, apologetics, yes, apologetics is, de- is dangerous, but it's also essential. You can run, but you cannot hide, uh, especially in our day and age. Yes, maybe during certain points of the Middle Ages, uh, you could run and hide from, from objections. Although even then, um, there was a need to answer um, people that were opposing Christianity because... There's always rational um, attacks on Christianity. Um, But today, more than ever, the Christian faith is under attack. It's under attack if you study and you go to university and and people are saying, well, evolution disproves Christianity, Um, history of Christianity, the history of the Crusades and stuff disproves Christianity. Um, Or... If you just stay at home, you don't perhaps go to university. You're still going to be confronted on Netflix by movies like The Da Vinci Code, by um, movies like... um, uh, I'm trying to think what that's called. Galaxy or... um, Well, even watching something like Star Trek um, or, or any popular science type of thing like that. Or if you study Cosmos is the name of the uh, series on Netflix that is going through the, the basics of, of, um, of contemporary science and very sharp critique against Christianity in the second episode. I haven't got further than that because I just was like, wow, seriously, this is so historically inaccurate and, and really, really pointed against Christianity. Um, there's popular level attacks. There's high level attacks. Um, and people on all levels of society are well versed in these sorts of attacks. Well, what about the Crusades? What about evolution? Um, and uh, you know, there, Richard Dawkins has become basically a household name, and, and many people are familiar with his works. So even though it's dangerous, um, somebody's got to do it. And if it's not going to be you or me, then then who is it? And we need to have answers for um, for the young people in our church for the new Christians in our church, for the professionals, for the people that have been called of God to be biologists and geologists. And, um, you know, they have to take these courses because this is their gifting and this is their calling. This is how they're going to make a living. Um, and doctors and, and things like that. We need to be able to, to guide them and answer these questions for them. So it's worth the risk. But uh, I have two words of advice uh, to mitigate this risk. First of all... Um, a mental picture that I have uh, and I feel like God gave me as I was slogging my way on through this um, I used to listen to a podcast called A Christian and an Atheist which was an atheist and a Christian the, the concept was to have an atheist and a Christian that would just kind of sit there and debate good friends um, and, and hit a new topic every week eventually the Christian bowed out because he was adopting like 
five kids and and who was busy and the atheist just kind of recruited somebody else and I would listen to this and it, it kind of became like this is a lot of objections every week new objections new objections new objections and uh, a mental picture that I felt like God gave me was a clam and clams are wonderful creatures um, I know some people eat them but that just seems wrong to me um, because they're filter feeders and they take in water and they filter out um, the food out of the water and they eat it and the impurities in the water they also fill out and turn into pearls uh, I mean some of them they just absorb into their shells into their flesh which is why I wouldn't eat them uh, but working with this analogy eventually a clam will take the the lead the mercury the silt um, and the nastiness that's in the water it will come in and it will be annoying to the clam for a while there will be a bit of of grit in its shell um, but what it will do is it will um, you will start to encase it will it will start to work on that bit of grit and it will encase it and work on it and work on it until that grit and those impurities become a beautiful pearl and this is the job of an, of an apologist is to take in some of the crud of the world and to work on it and it's just in the corner of our mind and we're thinking about it and we're working on it and we're studying on it and eventually what started as an ugly attack on Christianity becomes a beautiful pearl and we're like hey you know what I love talking about the Da Vinci Code because you know it's kind of this low you know slow slow pitch that I can hit out of the park with with all these these wonderful um, responses that Christianity could produce against it but you can't take in too much at a time I mean if, if a clam just kind of opened up its shell and and swallowed a, a mouthful of gravel I mean it would die and um, the Christian life is a living thing faith is a living thing um, your faith is a living thing it's like your relationship with your wife there's only so much you can take you need to be slow and gentle and um, yes you're gonna go through difficult times together but you can't just I don't know um, write a list of all the issues you see in your marriage and sit down with your wife and be like here's the 35 things we need to work on in a marriage and and here's the 25 things ways in which I'm dissatisfied with you as a wife um, and expect to deal with that all at the same time uh, you as a relationship progresses one by one you work on things and your marriage gets better and better and better um, so in a similar way just take take it slow one thing at a time one objection at a time uh, and if you feel like your head like you're losing your faith or whatever just back up slow down a little bit um, in this class I am going to move fast because it's a, it's a class of you know it's one week after another and and we want to cover the ground in the time allotted um, and so I'm a little bit going against my own advice here but I am going to try my best to provide the answers for every question almost every question that I raise uh, so that's my way of not providing stumbling blocks for people in my class and I would encourage you to always fall back on Jesus and I just released a podcast uh, called the Holy Spirit versus science or science versus the Holy Spirit whichever way um, talks about the proper basicality of belief in God uh, which is basically saying look you always have um, a right to say I just believe I just believe um, and sometimes you might feel like that's an invalid move to make uh, if you're trying to defend your faith rationally but 
um, Wolfred Pannenberg and uh, William Lane Craig defend a thesis, and I've understood it and presented it in that podcast, I think. I've understood it well. Um, that says, look, you always have a right to just say, this is just what I believe and I just know that it's true. So have a look at that podcast before you continue with this series. It will probably help you just have that fallback. Um, and sometimes it's necessary just to have that ability to say, I don't understand right now, but I'm still falling back on my belief in Jesus. Um, okay, so those are the objections to apologetics and my responses to them. In the next podcast, we'll talk about how we do apologetics in various models. Uh, but first, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for um, that you are truth and that your word is truth and that you're not scared uh, by anything that the world, uh, Satan, or the flesh can throw against you. And I just pray, Lord, that we can fearlessly uh, face the strongholds and everything lifted up against the knowledge of you and uh, destroy them in the name of Jesus and by the wisdom that you afford to us through scriptures and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.